Hello and welcome back to Tachikawa. You are listening to Sakamichi Nights. My name is Matthew Boynton and I'm joined as always by Daniel Bellamy. How are you today, Daniel? Excellent. Hump day is real. Really? Yep. Uh, today is hump day, dromedary yeah. day. You yeah. might say international day of the dromedary. Would yeah. you agree that it is international day of the dromedary today? I guess. Congratulations to the dromedary. Uh, hump day is real. We're getting over it. Um, although it will probably be Thursday by the time people are listening to this. We're waffling already. How was your day today? It was good. I, I mean, I opened with that because it was a good day. Monday and Tuesday were a bit quiet. It was cold and windy. Today, you may have noticed, also cold and windy. Correct. And yet, people came out to have beer with us. So, I feel like Wednesday Wednesday is the new Friday. Wednesday is when the weekend starts. Even though you have to go to work on Thursday and Friday, Wednesday evening, the weekend starts. Thursday, Friday, you go to work, but you do nothing. Mm. Uh, Thursday, you also come here and have beer. Friday, you also come here and have beer. And then Saturday, Sunday is the weekend in which you come here and have beer. Monday and Tuesday is kind of the tail end of the weekend. That's when you recover from like your real life. So Monday and Tuesday is actually the weekend. You have to go to work and do things, but that's when you recover from the fun stuff you do in your life. What fun things did you do this uh, Saturday and Sunday? Uh, well, Sunday I was in here doing fun things the most uh, fun thing. with the people in here. What did I do on Saturday? Man, it's really hard to think really back. Really springing these difficult questions on you at the top of the podcast. You got to ask me uh, You ask me sooner if you want me to cast my mind back four days. I don't know, man. I just sat around the house. I think I know. Yeah. I think you went to Tyler's house and had a party it's what i did you're absolutely right yeah. man i'm glad you're here did you remind have, me did you have a good time with the p-funk uh yeah uh we went over to t-money's house for his birthday party uh, i found out later it wasn't his birthday that day i was uh, aggrieved and insulted that's a real joke well happy birthday tyler yeah uh what about today you have a good day today yeah again hump day okay I'm, I'm trying to lead into something. You said you had something to talk about today, specifically of all days. I'm trying to let you lead into that. It's International Day of, of the, the Hippopotamus. Hippopotamus. That's right. Uh, can you tell me what is the most dangerous large mammal in the world it really, other than it, humans? It really feels like you have some things to say about hippos. It's hippopotamuses. Uh, hippopotami it feels like you have some knowledge that you would like to share no that's the extent of my knowledge about uh, hippopotami they are the most dangerous yeah you don't want to get on the wrong side of a hippopotamus right yeah they're they're basically armor plated uh, two ton eating machines right and they will chomp you up yep Uh, happy international day of the hippopotamus everybody Uh, did you know that they are the third largest land mammal meticulously research this no that's the question don't don't turn this around on me what are the first and second what are the first and second the Indian elephant and the African elephant Uh, well elephant is one so you've done that good work number two either the rhinoceros or the giraffe oh good work it's the rhinoceros I reckon giraffe is probably it's a weight thing right I guess it depends on how you're are you like Archimedesing them and submerging them in a giant uh, animal bathtub to find out the volume yes I am I am doing that (laughs) yes how did you know what I do on hump day uh yeah anyway that's any other hippopotamus facts no that's the extent of uh, the research i've managed to do it's a big day though right oftentimes i find around this yeah big animal deserves a big day Uh, around this time of year people tend to focus on uh, on the other big day 
that's around here, which is, uh, of course, your um, birthday, my birthday, which is coming up soon. Yeah. Um, no, the other uh, day of the year, which is e- International Emu Day, which is on the 16th. Okay. Um, that's when, you know, people celebrate emus. Um, but, you know, we don't want to overlook hippos. What uh, plans do you have for International Emu Day? None, because I feel like hippos get, you know, in the preparation for Emu Day, people skip Hippo Day. Mm. And I think, I think you know, like they can't communicate, but I feel like I look in their eyes. I feel like the hippos can sense that. Mm. They feel that, that they've been overlooked for emus and uh, f*** them emus. Wow. We're coming out strongly against yeah, emus man. here. This is your Australian upbringing speaking. Of course, Australia once declared war on the emu and lost. The, the emu war was uh, the emus were the victor in that one. Was it, uh, was it, uh, was it a victor and, and lictor kind of situation? Victor and loser situation? Or was it... No, it was a victor and lictor kind of situation. Did they? <laughs> or was it like we give up? No, I'm pretty sure that the emus run Australia now. <laughs> That's how things work. Okay. Have right. a look at the Prime Minister. So it was a Victor and Lictor situation. 90% sure that uh, the Prime Minister of Australia is an emu. Right yeah. on, okay. The other big day was Tuesday this mm. week, of course, Valentine's Day. Yeah. The most romantic day of this week. Yeah. Uh, what did you do for Valentine's Day? Anything special? Uh, no, again, I was here. Um, I did... I mean, I want to raise this to our listeners and and to our customers and everybody else. Uh, I believe last Valentine's Day, I think two different customers uh, gave me chocolates. Mm -hmm. I I don't think I I wouldn't have been in here last. uh, Well, I suppose it wouldn't have been on Tuesday. Anyway, I'm waffling already. My point is that uh, around this time of year last year, I think two different customers uh, brought chocolates in for me or for us. I don't know if I shared them with you. Maybe they were just for me. Regardless... Uh, this year, nobody brought chocolates in. I'm going to tell the emus about this. Do people give you chocolates and they that they intended you to share with me and you just didn't? Uh, no. I'm going to say no. Okay. I'm going to stick to that story. <laughs> uh, my family gave me chocolates, but I don't think they intended for me to share them with you. Yeah, but did they say don't share them with Daniel? Yes. Yes, they did. <laughs> they were pretty specific about right. it, to be honest. Yeah. You can share them with anybody else. Um, but yeah, uh, happy... Valentine's Day, International Day of the Hippo, and International Day of the Emu, yep. in that order, yep. if you please. Right. It's been uh, a busy week this week. Um, brewery update. We kegged a new beer mm. just uh, yesterday, Tuesday. It's Wednesday when we're recording this. International Day of the Hippo, Yep. as everyone knows when we're recording this. Yesterday, Valentine's Day, we uh, kegged uh, a new beer, and it will go on tap. Tomorrow, International Day of the Emu and International Day of the Haze Craze because it's back, baby. Your favorite, our favorite, the very popular Haze Craze series is back, this time with a new edition, which is called Haze Craze colon Hop Volcano. Why is it called Hop Volcano? As you well know... um, when I was, so this is a hazy IPA, which means that we have to add a lot of dry hops during active fermentation. That's one of the ways that you make the beer hazy. And uh, during active fermentation, there is a lot of carbon dioxide kind of dissolved in the beer. And so if you are incautious when you're adding all of these dry hops to the top of the tank, during this active fermentation, they can provide 
nucleation points for all of that carbon dioxide to rush out of solution and explode out of the top of the tank. Mm. And that is very much what did happen. That's indeed what happened. Uh, when I was dry hopping this beer. Very exciting. Uh, very dramatic for mm. the people who are watching on the other side of the glass. <laughs> Good well. evening show for everybody. Um, since then, we have learned a bit, uh, have improved our processes a bit. Hopefully, that will be the last time that ever happens. I think we only end up losing about 50 liters of beer. And I didn't fall off the ladder. So, a, a win-win situation there. Mm. Um, but yes, that kind of situation where all the beer erupts out of uh, the, the port on the top of the tank is called a hop volcano. Google it if you want to see some amusing videos and photos. Uh, and so that is what we have named this beer after. Hmm. Uh, it's interesting um, because we, I don't know if you've listened to this podcast before, but we have to drink a beer on this podcast Okay. that we serve on tap here. Wow. What an extraordinary coincidence. I know. Um, Do we review this beer? I mean, I, well, we could, but on this podcast, we don't. What kind of podcast buffoons would review beers on their podcast? Yeah, a bag full of idiots, that's what. Uh, but no, we, we celebrate the beers because we don't serve bad beer here. If we're serving it on tap or selling it from the fridge, you know it's good beer. And so if we're drinking it, if we're talking about it, it must be good. We're here to celebrate it rather than to review it. So why don't we dive into our celebration of this week's beer, uh, <laughs> I forgot the name, just briefly. Haze Craze, colon, Hop Volcano. All right, we're back. We're sitting in front of two very large glasses of Haze Craze, colon, Hop Volcano. And I have to say, Dan, I'm enjoying this beer very much. What do you think of it? Uh, yeah, I agree. It's very tasty. It is crushable. Have we we have not yet made a beer that is not crushable? Crushability is our watchword. This is like uh, this is like that weird um, that uh, Bible thumping thing. Like, can Matthew make a beer so crushable that even he cannot crush it? Mm, no, the answer is no. No, it's absolutely not. All no, that, there's that one sorted. Right. Good. Done. Uh, any other uh, epistemological questions? For right. Me? Should we get? Uh, I get a lot of, uh, I, mean, I mean, I'm not sure. This is another one where sometimes you tell you a beer with bit. The fruitiness is a bit of a melange. Yeah, go ahead. Sure. Why don't I tell you it. a little bit about the recipe as you're smelling it? Um, and we'll see if this leads anywhere. So it's got the same malt base as our previous version of Haze Craze. Haze Craze colon Tropical Crush. That is a Haze Craze thing, is it not? Yes. I think that is how this series is going to work. So mostly pale malt but uh, with some wheat, some flaked oats, and a little bit of sour malt mm. because uh, controlling the pH is quite important for the, haze. The fur. The fur is important to haze stability. Um, so the, the malt base is more or less the same, um, but the hops we changed up a bit this time. So the, uh, the three hops in this are citra, mosaic, and Idaho Gem, Ooh. which is an interesting one. Though I will say that it's not just any old Citra and Mosaic. These are uh, American noble versions of Citra and Mosaic, which have uh, lower alpha acid values. 
alpha acid is how much bitterness is in the hop. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we can add more hops, which means more flavor, basically. Um, Citra and Mosaic, very, very classic uh, combination for all kinds of IPAs, hazy or otherwise. Um, but Idaho Gem is an interesting one. Um, some people say it has a bit of a cherry, mm. red fruit character to it. Are you picking up anything like that? Uh, I was going to say, I don't get a lot of cherry or red fruit. To me, it almost, it smells like peachy and white grape. And almost a little bit white wine-ish. Mm. Like a little bit of the the alcohol is coming through in the aroma, but not in a bad way, like a pleasant kind of balanced way. Okay. Um, when we first poured this and I first had a sip of it, and granted it was the first keg that had just been kegged yesterday, so it might be a bit lively, but uh, I think I said it was very sparkly in the mouth. Like right. you could really feel the carbonation. Um, but as I, once we had the glass in hand and we had a few sips, it settled down a little bit. And now I think the mouthfeel is very, uh, very kind of soft and smooth, which I think is, is not necessarily a hallmark of, uh, hazy IPAs, but very close to being a universal characteristic of them. That is kind of what I was going for with the water chemistry. Soft and pillowy is the, the ideal mm. that we're shooting for. Maybe we haven't quite got there yet, but soft and smooth and juicy. Certainly, I'm getting some yeah. juiciness from this one. For sure. I think the flavor follows the aroma in that it's, uh, again, it, it's kind of a mixture. It's difficult for me, at least, to pin down one thing. Uh, there's a little, like a hint of citrus, but I almost feel like that's a bit of a cop-out of like, I don't know what I'm tasting, so I'm going to call it citrus. But uh it's definitely very juicy. I like the way it looks. It almost looks like a glass of orange juice, kind of. It's got an orangey tint to it. Uh, so I wonder how much like the, the aroma and look of the thing are contributing to my interpretation of how it tastes. It is one of my pet theories that one of the reasons that hazy IPAs are so popular is that they look good on mm. phone camera. Right? Obviously, they taste good, and lots of people like drinking them for the flavor. But also... They look pretty good on the gram. You right. can snap a shot of a hazy IPA and it's going to look good under most lighting situations. Uh, and hopefully this one is the same. Um, I was quite glad when I poured them out and they came out hazy because we have had a few beers in here, guest beers, uh, probably from overseas, where the, the style as described by the brewery is hazy IPA. But when we start pouring them, they're not really very hazy at all. In fact, they're crystal clear. But uh, as we get further down the keg, the haze is all kind of settled to the bottom or to the top, as right. it were. Uh, and so we get uh, a couple of smoothies right at the end of the keg. doesn't appear to it, be the case. It doesn't. One. And they don't taste any different. Right, yes. Like the beer still tastes... I mean, I don't notice any difference anyway. Maybe I'm stepping on your toes, but... Uh, it seems like they taste the way they're supposed to taste. They take fruit, taste fruity and juicy and, and everything that's expected out of them, even when they're not hazy. Um, so it's not like that is a problem. No. But you, I think you've, we've talked about on the podcast before, or you have talked about keeping haze in suspension is one of the challenges for hazy beers. Yes, and, and keeping that haze nice and stable throughout the life of the keg mm. as it is shipped uh, halfway around the world right. and served in a different country. Right. When it's you're talking challenge. about exporting it and sending it to another country, then you're talking about 
like a much longer time frame than what you might get domestically. Definitely, definitely, yeah. One of the other flavor descriptors uh, that Idaho Gem uh, is often paired with is uh, kind of sweet candy-like, mm. uh, Jolly Ranchers or Juicy Fruits mm-hmm. or Fruit Pastels, mm-hmm. um, Opal Fruits, that kind of thing. I definitely do pick up a bit of um, that kind of candy-like sweetness from this. I don't think that is from the malt because this beer finished pretty dry. So it's not there so much in the aroma, but perhaps at the back of the palate, there is kind of a, a juicy sweetness, which is almost like eating uh, some kind of very unhealthy uh, candy snack that we might get from America. Um, I think it's quite nice, if I do say so myself. Mm. And uh, I'm looking forward to drinking quite a lot of this beer uh, over the weeks to come. Yeah, I don't know if it's going to hang around very long, but yeah, get get your fill while it's on tap. Every time we do drink a beer on the podcast, we also try to pair it with one of eight different options. Uh, of course, we can't have the two most recent ones, which were... Food, specifically dessert, okay. uh, and activity. All right, so Tubin is off the menu, mm. and menus are off the menu. That's what you think. What's it going to be? TV or movies? You're pulling a face, but what would you like to be watching as you are drinking this beer? I'm trying to think of a movie that featured Tubin, but uh, it's not really coming to me. I have something. Maybe I should go first this week, because I see you're still thinking. Um, you're a big Trekkie, right? Uh, what's your favorite series or uh, iteration of Star Trek? Uh, not movie? What's my, what are my options here? You can choose the original movies. You can choose the next generation movies. Uh, I like Final Frontier. Final Frontier. Okay. Why do you like that one? Uh, I really, they get thrown in jail, right? Don't they get thrown in like uh, space jail? Yes. And um, Ruther Penthe. Not, not this specifically, but, the, you know, I watched it when I was a child. Doesn't he? He kick, kicks a guy in the knees or something. What he thinks of the he, knees? He tries to kick him in the nuts. And uh, a friendly other prisoner says, not everyone keeps their genitals in the same place. (laughs) So he kicks him in the knees instead. (laughs) Uh, It's not specifically for that scene, but that's, you know, watching it as a child. That's that's pretty hilarious. Yeah, that's the one that stuck with me. But I recall Final Frontier being uh, a really good film. At least I enjoyed it a lot. I'm not sure how it's regarded. I've never looked into, like, the critical reception of Mm. the pantheon of uh, Star Trek films. I, I, I like that one a lot. That's the one that kind of pops out to me in memory. Also, Wrath of Khan, I guess. Wrath of Khan uh, is, really enjoyed. is the best one. You're right. But uh, Final Frontier might be up there as well. Right. Um, strange thing about that movie. It's about the Klingon Empire has a kind of massive uh, environmental disaster. The moon praxis explodes, mm-hmm. uh, which is going to cause untold chaos to the Klingon zone. Kronos, their home planet. Sure. Yeah. yeah. This, all these words are on the tip of your tongue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, this was my third choice. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, this is the same movie that you just described. Right, yeah, no, that's what I mean. Yeah. And um, so in the original uh, series and so on, the, the Klingons were always a stand-in for the Soviet Union. Mm. Right. And so there is the obvious parallel of the explosion of Kronos, uh, the explosion of uh, Praxis, with uh, the Chernobyl disaster. Right. But it happened, it was written before that happened. Whoa. And, and then released, I think, like shortly after it happened. So it was, it was strangely topical. And it was about the sort of the end of the Cold War. Mm. Uh, and it was all very topical. And it also features a scene when uh, the shape-shifting alien 
makes out with James Kirk and yeah. then tells him it must have been a lifelong ambition of his. So, good choice. Right. Anyway, all that was leading up to <laughs> me asking you, have you ever seen uh, Star Trek Lower Decks, the animated series? Yes. Yes, good. So, you have seen it. So, you know then that it is uh, both faithful to the original themes of Star Trek and pays homage to them, but is also a very fun and light and fruity and, may I say, juicy remix of some of those same themes, uh, much like this beer is. Some of those words seem like they don't apply to the show, but fine, I'll allow it. It's a fruity and juicy remix of the same themes. Um, I will also add that uh, I just looked up the release date of Star Trek VI and the Chernobyl disaster, and I was completely wrong. I made all of that up. <laughs> the Chernobyl disaster was in 1986. Star Trek VI was released in 1991. How do you sound so convincing I said it was when so, just so much making shit up? I knew that there was uh, something going on there, but maybe it was it was before the fall of the actual fall of the Soviet Union, but... Yeah. Nah, I could be making this up too. Yeah, I could be making this up too. No, anyway, carry on. Anyway, Star Trek Lower Decks. If you haven't seen it, check it out. It's actually pretty good. What's it's really choice? good. I enjoyed it a lot, yeah. Uh, well, I, 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 want, I want to take your approach, which is to have a 10-minute preamble to my answer. What's your favorite underdog story? Mm, good question. Uh, I'm going to say uh, the 2002-2003 Premiership when Birmingham City were promoted to the Premiership for the first time in mm -hmm. forever, and we okay. played Villa mm -hmm. twice, home and away. Um, Villa obviously a much larger and richer club, right? But we beat them both times. Okay, um, both times with fairly humiliating defeats mm. for the Villa as well, including um, their keeper Peter Enkelman rather hilariously letting a throw-in slip under his foot into the goal. Ooh, that's bad. Even I know that's bad. Was hilarious. Uh, how'd you guys end up in the standings compared to them? Uh, we stayed up that season, which I think was more than most people were expecting. Okay. Uh, Went down after that, but... But who cares? We, we thrashed the villa both home and away, and that's what it's really about. Moral victories. Uh, that's what's important in professional sports. What's your favorite underdog victory? Uh, well, story? so, I mean, that was a less lengthy lead-in than you had, but uh, Idaho Gem, little bit of an underdog when it comes to okay. hazy IPAs. Yes. Am I right? Yeah, why not? Uh, let's say that's true. Let's say also that Idaho as a state bit of an underdog when it comes to literally everything. I, mean, I thought they were really good at basketball. Nope. Why would you think that? Is that Indiana? Yeah, probably Indiana. What you're eyes. thinking of. Iowa's quite good this year as well, if we're talking about college basketball. Uh, Idaho, bit of an underdog of a state. Uh, never really coming out on top, I don't think, um, except in the production of potatoes. Um, but also, great underdog story, uh, not recently in movies, but that sticks out in my mind, was the movie Napoleon Dynamite. Have you seen Napoleon Dynamite? I have, yes. You like yeah. it? On the internet all day, chatting to babes. Yeah, yes. Uh, you Do you enjoy the movie? Did I've you? seen it once, hmm. about 15 years ago, but right. I remember enjoying it at the time. It's great. Uh, I've seen it a few times, and uh, every time I remember it and go, I want to watch that again, I watch it again. I'm not, I don't want to go so far as to say it's timeless, but man, it is really good, and it really holds up to repeated viewings. Uh, anyway, it's an underdog story, right? Napoleon is is an underdog uh, who comes out 
not necessarily on top, but like turns he, out he, he can really dance. He succeeds uh, based on his hot dance moves. Um, Idaho Gem is also uh, very much an underdog in the in the haze craze world and the hazy the broader hazy IPA world. So uh, I'm going to drink this uh, Napoleon Dynamite. I feel like I buried the lead here uh, in all my rambling. Napoleon Dynamite was filmed in Idaho. I don't actually know if it was set in Idaho, but it was filmed in Idaho. So there's a, a cross tie-in here. Underdogs, Idaho. Movie set in Idaho. Idaho Gem, which is in this beer, which is also an underdog. I enjoyed all of that. But if I could give you one tiny piece of feedback, it would be to, rather than say, you know, I'm not, sure, more. I'm not sure whether Napoleon Dynamite was filmed in Idaho, to just state with confidence... Napoleon Dynamite obviously was filmed in Idaho. Everyone knows that. It's famously filmed in Idaho. Uh, and that's why I'm choosing this movie. And, you know, who's going to fact check you? Not me, probably. Just say it with enough confidence and you can carry the day. Interesting tie-in, actually, uh, to what we were talking about earlier. Idaho has the largest population of uh, hippos in the continental U.S. Really? That's a bizarre factoid that most people don't know. Yeah. And uh, is weirdly tied into like a bunch of the random shit we've talked about today. And why is that? Um, I have, I, I mean. Something about the climate that really suits Who them. knows? I, it's probably like, there's probably two hippo sanctuaries there that have most of the hippos in the U.S. I don't think, I don't think hippos are going there by choice. You're a proud American, right? I'm an American. I'm going to ask you some questions about Idaho. Let's see how many of these things you know. Don't look at the screen, please. All right. Don't look at the screen. Let's have it. Right. Idaho. Yeah. State. Yeah. In America. Yes. What is the capital? Boise. Good. What is the state bird? Uh, <laughs> who knows what the state bird is? Is it... Uh, how big is it? Is it a big bird or is it a small bird? Uh, it's not big bird from... <laughs> it's smaller than big bird from Sesame Street. Uh, I don't. Okay. I've never seen one of these birds, but I'm going to guess it's small. Is it? Is it a kind of tit? Uh, you know, I don't think you're that far wrong. It has a color in is its it name. Is it a booby? <laughs> I, I see what might be on your <laughs> mind here. Valentine's Day was yesterday. Today is day of the hippo. I've been thinking about hippos, man. Uh, it is, of course, the mountain bluebird. Oh, yeah. You know, of course. What else would it yeah, be? Yeah, why not? Um, what is the state motto of Idaho? Uh, we do what the fuck we want. Yes, that is correct. What is the state state fish of Idaho? Some kind of trout. Yes, you're correct. The cutthroat trout. Nailed it! Absolutely. And last question. What is the state tree of Idaho? Uh, I don't think that... It's not going to be a... It's not going to be a pine. It's not going to be... It's going to be deciduous. Am I, am I on the right track? Continue. Please continue. There's uh, more than one deciduous it's, tree. It's, a <laughs> it's going to be some kind of poplar. Okay. So you're saying it's definitely not a pine? Yes. It's the western white pine. God damn it! It doesn't seem like a piney place to me. No, not at all. Idaho, of course. Slightly arid. Uh, also uh, known as the... The what? The what? I fill this the, in. The what state? The, the hippoist state. The gem state. Bringing us back to oh, snap. Idaho Gem. Man, that was a gimme, wasn't it? One of the key hops in this beer. Uh, hazy IPA. The first hazy IPA we ever made here. Um, we talked a little bit about making hazy IPAs before. Um, would you be interested to know 
what goes into making a hazy IPA? Should we do a more deep dive on that on a later episode? Are you asking me or listeners? I'm I think they're gonna, just going to like shout from neighboring apartments. Like you're just going to hear a bunch of people go, yes, please. I would be very surprised if that happened. Given this the... is not live. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. Why not? Give it to me. Here's my here's we talked a little bit about keeping haze in suspension, and yes. we we mentioned that we have had beers that had that issue, and we have had beers that have not had that issue. Um, I'm I'm trying to cast my mind back now, but I feel like it has generally been uh, import beers. You kind of alluded to this, but I, I, has it mostly been import beers where the haze has dropped out of suspension? We may have had some domestic stuff. I, I can't really remember, but I feel like our our domestic hazies generally are still hazy when we get them. Yes, I agree with that. Do you think there's a time, like, is there just a time issue where, like, you can keep it in suspension for this long, but past mm. this point, you're going to struggle? Uh, I don't know. I would suppose that it might be a temperature issue. I think that, and this is pure speculation on my part, that maybe the beer that is being imported, put in a refrigerated container, it's all cold chain shipped over here, right? It's put in a refrigerated container, brought over to Japan. Maybe they keep that refrigerated container pretty cold Mm. because the beer has to be in there for a while. So the colder you keep it, the longer it is going to stay good. The, the more slowly it's going to go off, basically. Uh, and I do know that when we want to clarify beer in the tank, one of the things we can do to it is hold it at a low temperature for a long time. Mm. And the lower the temperature, the more stuff will fall out of suspension. Right. Right, because uh, all the... The heavier molecules will fall to the bottom. They have less energy. Mm. And so they will fall to the bottom of the tank where we can separate them out if we want to clarify the beer. Mm. So maybe that is what is going on, but I don't know. It could also just be that, yes, as you say, it's a freshness issue. And all of the domestic beer that we get is almost by definition fresher Mm -hmm. than the imported beer that we get. I don't know. It... I guess it makes you start thinking about how how are they chilling things when they come over on boats, for example. Yeah. Like, I think it would make more sense, and I could be wrong on this, but I think it would make... I'm sorry, I'm going to drop to your approach. Um, I know for a fact that when they put yep. cold things on boats, yep. that they uh, put the containers into a cold storage chamber. Yeah, like Because that's it. cheaper uh, as a ho- to cool that chamber as a whole and seal that up as a whole than it is to, to refrigerate individual containers. Okay. That makes sense to me. I'm going to state it as a fact. That absolutely happens. I know this yep. from my past life expertise. Um, if that's the case, I would imagine... I'm sorry. I am certain... Uh, I know Good. for a fact that all of these things go in there and you have things of va- that need to be kept at varying temperatures and they probably have a range. So beer might go in and it's like, we'd like it to be at like six degrees Celsius, but we can accept it anything above zero basically. Right. And then you've got other things that are like, we'd like it to be at two degrees Celsius, but we can accept it anywhere from zero, from one to seven. Those things go in together. And because they're in the same chamber, they put the chamber at two. Yep. Because that's within the range for both things. 
and well, then the beer is going to be colder. I mean, I'm telling you that I know for a fact this is exactly what happens. How am I doing? It, it almost seems plausible. I would the one piece of feedback I would give you is to stop saying saying that you know things as a fact because that implies that you 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 have a measure of self doubt. Right. Okay. You've got to just say things as if nobody could ever even presume to doubt them. Okay. Let me tell you something that you can never presume to doubt about shipping. You can start by saying, well, here's an interesting thing that you might not know about this. Right? He- and then just go from there. Here's the thing you might not know about this that you could never presume to doubt. Yep. And then do my thing from there? Yes, yes, exactly. All right. Cast back to what I did before, but with that preamble. Seems plausible. Hmm. Seems plausible. I mean, I told you it was true. What is haze in beer? I'll tell you what haze in beer is. It comes from two different sources. Uh, basically, you mix proteins and, probably going to mispronounce some of these words, polyphenols. Mm. Uh, the proteins come from the malts, basically. That's one of the reasons that we use malts like wheat and oats, flaked oats, when making hazy IPAs. They have lots and lots of proteins in them. Polyphenols come from the hops. Uh, and so we tend to add the hops, as I mentioned earlier, sort of during active fermentation when lots of stuff is moving around and we stick them in there. Um, we, we would call that adding hops on the cold side because the beer is already being chilled. Uh, and so you're getting a lot of aroma and not so much flavor and hardly any bitterness out of the hops. You're mixing together those polyphenols and those proteins and that causes something called colloidal haze, especially when mixed together with certain strains of yeast that are haze positive. Mm-hmm. And one of the really interesting things about this is that it is still a developing science, right? So uh, I, I've read some reports on this recently. And I've listened to some podcasts about this. And people don't know exactly why some yeasts are haze positive and other yeasts are not haze positive. Mm. But some strains of yeasts promote clarity in beer and other strains of yeasts promote haze Mm. in beer. And of course, there is a spectrum there. Some of them, you know, it's possible to create clear beer with hazy strains and it's possible to create slightly hazy beer with clear strains. Um, But by carefully selecting the strain of yeast, you can promote haze in your beer Mm. um, from the mixture of lots of protein and lots of fresh polyphenols from hops. That was incredible. That was an, I like, I almost believed you. <laughs> an absolute master class. I like how you mixed in, like, first of all, the jargon, colloidal haze. You just like off the cuff. Yeah. Incredible. Uh, and, and, and then throwing in a little bit like, well, no one's really sure. So it's like, don't doubt me, but other people at man. Doubt the science. Incredible. Yeah. Really incredible. Do you think that uh, when we reach, uh, like, Star Trek times mm-hmm. in our, like, 25th we become whatever that is, uh, do you think they will understand? Do you think they understand how to make hazy beer? Interesting question. They drink synthahol, right? Which uh, Can you just make anything? You, for, you can just <laughs> talk to the thing and be like, give me a juicy haze bomb. From a replicator. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what would, you, what would your Let order be? Let me back be? this up. Let if, me back this are you, up. Are you a tea, Earl Grey, hot kind of guy? Uh, IPA, New England, juicy, crushable. You've what made, would be the descriptors you would bark into the replicator? You've made my next question get weird. Can you make a replicator uh, make human flesh? If you want to eat human flesh, 
I, there's no reason why not. Right? Is it so, going to be flagged in some way? Is this going to go? <laughs> this is going to affect my chances for promotion. I'm just a red shirt ensign, and I'm a little worried about my career. There's a question there about how much surveillance citizens of the Federation are subject mm. to, which I'm not sure about. Um, the, well, that raises another interesting point. Every, everyone in the Federation is functionally a vegan, right? Because they're eating just condensed energy. No animals ever die for any of their food okay. at any point or are harmed right. at any point. I guess, what, what is it to be even more than a vegan, right? They don't even harm vegetables to create their food. Uh, they're ultra-vegans of some kind. Uh, and so they presumably would be horrified by the amount of uh, living yeast that we have to murder in order to create our delicious beers. Well, like coming, yeah, if they were to travel back in time. Yeah, which they example, do frequently. Which they do, yeah. yeah. But no, I mean, if you were on one of the ships and you were like... Human flesh. Or a beer. You just said, like, they would be horrified by the yeast. Uh, possibly, yeah. Who knows? It would be fine, right? It's just replicated. Yes, I would assume so. How would you like your human, human flesh to be cooked? I was talking about the beer again, but... Yeah, I mean, I don't know. You'd have to experiment. I'm not the you. one who made this weird. <laughs> talk, you're talking about human flesh. You'd have to try a lot of different things, wouldn't you? Would you? You can replicate yes. sauces, right? Like, this, this would is be... This is such confidence as well. <laughs> This is it. The master, the student has become the master. Yeah, you'd have to try lots of sources, wouldn't you? You would have to try lots of sources with your human flesh. Uh, I believe we were talking about hazy IPAs. That's all I have to say on the subject. Uh, for now, maybe we'll come back uh, on a later episode and get into more detail about water chemistry and pH, or F, as you put it. Mm, yeah. uh, and. Yeah yeast selection and everything else that there is that goes into making a hazy IPA. But for now, maybe it's enough to just say, hey, they're pretty good and they're pretty crushable. And I am really enjoying this haze craze, colon, hop volcano. Speaking of beers that we are really enjoying, do we have anything coming up on the taps or in the fridge that you think people should know about? Let me tell you a thing about hazy IPAs. They are... Well, you know, they're not the future. They're kind of the current. Um, but we have a delivery coming that is essentially a blast from the past. A Back to the Future beer. Okay. Uh, but Back to the Future... No, he went to the past in the first one. Uh, yeah, so it's Back to the Future 1, going to the past. And he bringing came it back, back to, to the future. The, that's right, yes. I had to put things together there for myself. Uh, we're uh, receiving a case of stone ruination. Although I suppose technically he came back to the past now. Yeah. In the first movie? Well, yes, it's set in 1985, so that's further away from us than he was from 1955. Right, that's true. Anyway, Stone Ruination. Yes. Uh, Are you familiar with this beer? Uh, Yes. It's quite famous. Uh, They made it years ago, and it was a real, like, at the time when they made it, it it was one of those, like, man, this is this is the future of beer kind of thing. It was a big, bitter, like, double IPA. Uh, You know, like, almost a penny farthing in some ways now. We look back at it and go like, man, people's minds were blown by this, but you have to put it in context of what other craft beer was at the time. Still an absolute banger of a West Coast IPA. Uh, They stopped making it for a while, I believe, and then I think it was kind of, they might have had a, uh, they did Ruin 10, which was like they had a vote of like what beer did we cancel? Should we bring back? And uh, and that was it. 
Um, and I think that was for an anniversary or something. And now they have Ruination back in stock. I'm not sure if it's regular or what. But anyway, I saw it for sale from the importer. And I was like, that beer means something to me. Uh, we need to get a case of it. So yeah, Stone Ruination. Uh, it's, it is a big, bold, bitter West Coast IPA. Uh, but it's a classic. It's, you know, it's like reading dickens or something right like if you like beer and you want to know kind of what the journey beer has been through from uh from like the the mid 80s until now it's one of the ones you kind of have to cross cross off your beer bucket list pretty good pretty good i'm sure that one will be very popular um that's gonna be delivered on friday indeed i assume uh it will be on sale for a very brief window before mm. you get in here on sunday and drink all of it that is about all we have time for this week. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. Thank you for putting up with all of our nonsense. Stay safe, stay good, and we'll see you again next time. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye.